You're listening to the Pastor Chat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dayton. This is episode 13 of the First Baptist Church Daveville Pastors Chat Podcast. I am not your usual host. I am Zach Brown. We uh, we have a little bit of a mix-up today as Brother Forrest brought our message. So I'm going to be talking a little bit more than normal. So um, you your, your device is not messed up. This is not uh, Forrest's <laughs> voice. Uh, we know how his likes do get distorted sometimes. Uh, but this is Zach Brown filling in for him. Welcome to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> this is Ben Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church, Dadeville, Alabama. And I'm Forrest Jones, the man in the hot seat. Yes, you got the easy job today. So, um, so Forrest, um, we had the, the pleasure of having you give us the, the sermon yesterday. For those who might need a refresher already or, or who might not have, have been here for that or tuned into it, can you give us a kind of a rundown summary of what you talked about? Yeah. Um, so yesterday talked about um, not judging a book by its cover and how that applied to uh, in First Samuel, we see the picture of when Saul and David are anointed as king and, and how they come to be king. Um, and so I looked at those two and said, um, how are they different? And we, we have often heard that David is a man after God's own heart. Uh, I had heard one person's interpretation that it actually maybe is better said, David is a man after God's choosing and saying that he was kind of God's chosen one. Um, and as opposed to Saul, who was very much what the people wanted. And so we looked at that uh, kind of, covered a lot of ground in first Samuel yesterday, which I have to admit is one of my favorite books. Um, and so we started out looking at, at Saul and how it is he came to be king. And first of all was the fact that he was king because the nation of Israel wanted a king. They said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. They've got kings that do all this great stuff for them and we want one too. And so the Lord told Samuel, um, all right, give him a king. Tell them all the bad stuff he's going to do, but in the end, give them what they want. And so that's how we end up with Saul coming into the picture. And it's kind of odd when you look at the description of Saul, what you get is a whole lot of physical attributes. He's really tall. He's really handsome. That's pretty much it. That's all we know about him. What We know he's tall, he's handsome, and he goes looking for donkeys. That's what we really get prior to him being named uh, king. And so he gets... Uh, anointed as king and then um when it's time for him really to kind of step up as king he's hiding behind some suitcases and luggage and they have to like dig him out to push him up there to say all right stand up and be king now and uh again we just kind of repeat this he's tall dark and handsome and so looking at that and that that idea of if we're looking at the outside and he's got what people are looking for um, you know, he was tall, he's dark, he's handsome, all those kind of attributes that people love. Um, but when it came to his character, it's pretty flawed. And so in the, the, the book of first Samuel, you see where Saul does a whole lot of bad things. He doesn't follow what the Lord tells him to do. He's very impulsive and jealous. Um, he tries to kill some people. Um, and so 
and, and worse than that, he's non-repentant. So even when he does the wrong thing, he doesn't repent, um, but he's very prideful. And so we see the Lord tell Samuel, okay, I'm done with Saul and, and sends him to David. And when he goes to, to Jesse to find the next king, he looks at the sons of Jesse. And as they prayed by, again, we were confronted with the, the tall, handsome kind of guy. Um, but the Lord tells him, tells Samuel, uh, no, don't, that's not him. I've rejected that guy. And he says, don't, don't look on um, the outward appearance. He says, uh, he says, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And just that idea that God wasn't looking at it the way that man looks at it. And then instead, he didn't want the firstborn son that was the, you know, tall, strapping young man or whatever. Instead, he picked David that was the youngest and would have been the least. He was the one they had left in the field. And so I I said, well, looking at that and you start comparing Saul and David uh, and you realize that God is doing something unexpected, that this king that looks really good on the outside has been an utter failure. And this one that really was kind of the overlooked, I mean, even his own father didn't consider him. Um, He is the one that is going to be probably the greatest king of Israel. And, um, you know, Jesus is going to come from the house of David. And so we look at that. um, And so the things I kind of pulled out from that was, yeah, God does the unexpected, not just in this in- incident, but throughout the Bible and even in the Christian life now, we see God is continually doing the unexpected. The ways we think he's going to work are not the ways that he usually does. Uh, and just driving home that idea that man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And I said, if that's true, then there's two things that that, that means. And one, that that's good news for us um, because... We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be the most successful or the strongest or tallest or any of those things because God can use us and God will use us um, if our heart is in line with him. Uh, and so I said, you know, that that was one thing I really wanted to tell people yesterday was just, this is great news for us. It's so easy to be discouraged, but really the fact that God can use you even if you don't see yourself as being, uh, you know, a, a great Christian or uh, a great Christ follower. And so, so that's good news for us, but there's also the flip side of that, which is if it's good news for us, it should be good news for other people. And so because of that, that changes the way we should look at other people, because if we go through our life and we, sh- you know, we can celebrate this good news that God looks at us and he sees the potential, the, the, the things he can do with us despite ourselves, then in the same way, when we look at others, we should do the same thing. That we should not look at people um, like the Israelites did when they looked at Saul and they just saw his outward appearance and ignored all his character. And they were just like, oh man, he's going to be a great king. In the same way, when we see people, whether they're the richest person with the most, you know, all, outward appearance of things to offer the church, or they're the most broken person who comes from the roughest background. Um, they have value and we should see them as God sees them. Uh, and so that was kind of my challenge to us yesterday. Uh, 
was that we should rest in the fact that this is good news for us, but that good news should affect the way we view the world, the way we witness to others. Uh, and as we go through our lives, that should affect everything we do. Yeah, I think you did a really good job of yesterday of, of, of hammering out these points and asking some, some kind of really pointed questions to us, the, the congregation, the people listening to it. Um, so I appreciate kind of your heart yesterday and, and, and the, the sermon that you gave. Um, I, I do have one question, though. Were you trying to set a record for the most scripture quoted in a 30-minute 30, 30 sermon? Because <laughs> I think we went through, what, five chapters of First Samuel when it was all said and done? There, there was a reason I made sure it was all up on the slides. You know, was, <laughs> by the third sermon yesterday, I did try and pause long enough so that the page flipping could almost catch up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there, there's a lot of good spiritual truth in, in this story. Uh, as you look at uh, the choice of Saul and then you see the choice of, of David. And uh, you, you did make a, a good point as, as you, you talked about Saul being uh, the people's choice, what, what people wanted and, and David was what the people needed. Um, and, and, you know, it makes you stop and think because God does not... God does not... Uh, make mistakes. We all know that. We're, we're all aware of that. Uh, but it seems like from the very outset that when the people of Israel are asking for a king, that God just sets them up for failure with Saul. Now, how do you explain that? Well, God told them that he was their king. He, that Israel was always meant to be a theocracy, not a monarchy. And yet they chose to go against God. And I think that first instance with Saul was to get the point across to them that sometimes what you want isn't what you need. And God does that with us so many times, doesn't he? I mean, even, even today we, we say, well, this, this is what I want. This, this is what I want. And God says, okay, I'll give that to you. It's not what you need, but I'll give it to you. And you learn a lesson from that. Yeah, I think looking at that where they're, they're asking for the king, and, and I drew the comparison yesterday, it seems a lot like parenting in that he's, the, the people are coming to God through Samuel, and they're saying, we want a king like the other nations. And he lays out all the bad stuff. And you can almost picture them just kind of glazing over and like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We, we still want a king. Like, that's not, all that stuff's not going to happen. We want a king. And I think it's kind of telling in chapter eight, he says, um, you know, he says, when you cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And so that can be kind of odd when you read how it kind of takes place with Saul, because it is evident that God led Samuel to Saul. Yeah. And then later on, they're going to cast lots in order to pick who's going to be the next king. So there is this element where God is helping point the, you know, is pointing them to Saul. But here it's referring to him as the king that they chose. And he's very much what they would choose. He's that kind of, he, we don't see any indication that they chose him based on his, you know, devotion to God or anything. And so I think it's kind of a good example of the fact that we can wholeheartedly believe that God is sovereign 
and that he guides our path. But at the end of the day, when we make mistakes, that's our responsibility. Like we, we have to own that. Um, even if we say, well, but I didn't grow up with a good home life or whatever those things that we want to put in it. At the end of the day, they're still your mistakes. You're, you know, they still wanted a king. He gave them the king they wanted. And yeah, it's, it's a disaster from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also almost, almost wonder. So when we fast forward to looking at David, when he picks David and we have what he talks about, how we look at what's on the outside, but God looks at the heart. I also wonder how much of, of the whole allowing them to pick Saul, even though you said, like you said, like in his kind of divine instruction of setting this up, allowed them to pick Saul. I also wonder how much of that serves to kind of show them their own fallacy of what they're looking for in a leader, because, you know, they were looking for the person who was the, like you said, the tall, dark and handsome, which I will say yesterday kind of triggered me a little bit. I will say as the, the, the tallest person in the room and, you know, arguably the, the most ruggedly handsome, I will say, (laughs) you know, I was kind of offended by all the talks. Um, but I, I can get past that. Um, but, but looking at this, it, it took me back to Hannah and I have recently started looking at a book um, by Matt Chandler, and it's uh, The Mingling of Souls. I think he did a, a marriage conference about it a couple couple years ago, and, and he, he wrote this book. And it's all about understanding marriage through looking at the Song of Solomon. And, and he made this distinction about the problems that we can fall into when we look at physical attraction in a person. And, and, and while he was comparing it to a, like in a relationship sense, a lot of the examples he gave about ways that we fall into problems of kind of vanity over substance was we look at, you know, what ultimately would happen in, in David's life with Bathsheba. We look at, you know, Samson and Delilah. We look at, um, was it Proverbs 30 when we see the the, the thing about like the harlots or 30 or 31, whatever, when we see the thing about, you know, the warning against harlots and things like that. And, and he, he had this quote that I, that I was going to read. It says, um, to, again, this is Matt Chandler from his book, The Mingling of Souls. He said, in the Bible, we see a reflection of a pervasive cultural recognition. It is very often the more physically attractive who prove to be more spiritually deceptive. We can be easily baited by our attractions down the wrong paths. He says, this is not, of course, to say that you ought to marry somebody who you find unattractive. It means only that our romance, our sense of beauty itself, must run much deeper than physical attraction. And getting in that, looking at, you know, how this goes into not just relationship, but even theologically, um, how often do we as time or do we at times as modern day people how often do we, especially right now, what we're talking a lot about, like streaming church services and how church is so accessible all over the world, how often do we go more towards the people who are very attractive, we like to watch, we like to look at, who kind of tickle our ears a little bit but don't have that biblical substance compared to somebody like David who was the the not not at all the Saul but who was giving that that true biblical teaching. Well, I, I want to take issue with, with one point there, Zach. You, you are tall, uh, but I've always considered you tall, Forrest Dark, and me handsome. So, uh, however, we we've got the trifecta. <laughs> there, there's that one issue where Forrest has the nickname Handsome Hubby. 
And every time he said that yesterday, I kept thinking about <laughs> handsome, hubby. Surprised he didn't like heckle me from the crowd. <laughs> yeah, I started to. Nine fifteen, he could have got away with that. But could have. Yeah, I, I, in an, uh, illustrating the point that, that you're making there, Zach. Um, did, did any of you guys? Do you guys rem- remember the Brady Bunch? Oh yeah, yeah. You remember the the air episode where Greg becomes a rock star? Vaguely, you know they they started their music career and they were singing and the producer finds them and and he doesn't want the whole group he just wants she or she wants Greg because and the whole group thing had already been done by the Partridge family exactly, right? yeah. exactly. <laughs> that was already taken. by the way the Partridge family was the best so anyway but but Greg I would have thought Von Trapp family singers were better but okay just continue <laughs> <laughs> but but Greg was chosen by this this producer. Not because of his great singing skills, but because he fit the suit. You remember that? He fit the suit. That's why they chose him. And that's kind of like what we see here with Saul. He fits the suit. And I think God is teaching Samuel a lesson, too, because Samuel almost makes the same mistake twice <laughs> when he's looking at David's son. And, and Eliab comes along. He says, oh, God, this has got to be him. Yeah. And God says, no, hold it, big boy. You, you need to slow down because he's not the one. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get in our heads that, that it's, it's the tallest, it's the strongest, it's the best looking. And what God says, I've chosen the weak to confound the strong, the the the, the ignorant to f- confound the wise. He said, you know, that it's not about us. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he wants to do through us. Yeah, and I think, you know, yesterday you read James 2. Mm-hmm. And kind of tying that into what you just mentioned a minute ago, Zach, the idea that as a church, we have to guard against this as well. This is this is more pervasive than just simply this one incident or even, you know, kind of how we view ourselves or whatever. But if we're not careful as a church, we'll be drawn towards the successful, the rich. You know, that, that's what he talks about in James. He, you know, apparently the church was treating the wealthy people much better than they were treating the poor people. And they were kind of creating that division in the body. And that's still true in churches today that we, we have a tendency uh you know, there, there's a natural um, pull where we look at people that look really pretty or look very successful on the outside, and we might look at them and think, ooh, we want whatever they have. So that might be us comparing ourselves to another church that we, you know, we look at them and say, man, they got everything looks so, gl- you know, glitzy and gra- glamorous over there, and they're, they must be bringing people to Jesus left and right. Well, we dig deeper and find out their theology is terrible and they're leading people astray faster than anything. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that we see somebody, you know, and I, and I talked a little about this yesterday that as ministers, we want to see this body grow and we want to see it flourish. And it can be really easy to look at people as almost resources and say, what do they bring to the table that would be good for our church? But you know, I was really convicted about this as I put this sermon together, just the idea that, you know, it, everyone needs Jesus. Yeah. And that all of us, it's a miracle that any of us get saved. Um, and so we should rejoice no matter what the person is that comes into our fellowship. Um, and, you know, we, we should not be kind of separating people out thinking, yeah, they'd be good or yeah, not really. Because there are people who've had horrible lives, who've done 
horrible things. And when they come to, to know Christ as their savior, there's rejoicing in heaven. You know, we, we see yeah. that in scripture that no matter what, when someone gets saved, there's rejoicing and we should be that way too. We should be rejoicing as well. Yeah. And I think, so being with teenagers, you have to be very fluent in your meme culture. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I almost wonder how much of our like, kind of watering down of this comes from that memeing of the gospel in a sense. Like we're, we're almost so desensitized. Like when we see things, what is, what are some of our responses? Oh, well, they need Jesus. But, and, and we think about something and, and it's just a real trivial s- statement. You know, we're not openly and, and actively trying to, you know, demean and elevate ourselves above somebody. But, but when we say those kinds of things, like you said, like we're almost kind of looking at somebody saying, man, they really need Jesus without realizing that we all are, are in that same boat. And, and there was a time when every single one of us was apart from Jesus and needed Jesus. And thankfully, by the grace of God, you know, all of us are here because somebody, you know, saw that in us and was willing to, to take an interest in us and, and help us get there. But, but I, again, I, I think you made you a great point about how easy that is for, for us even looking like as pastors how often do we think like, oh, you know, if I can, if I can get the the quarterback, if I can get him to start coming to to church, then man, our our youth group will really boom and start taking off. Well, who else are we neglecting? Who's right in front of us? Who we're reaching, trying to find that certain person? Because if we can, if we can get the the popular kid, or if we can get the cheerleaders, then then we can really start growing a ministry. But how again? How much are we trying to grow a ministry on? vanity and our own views of vanity. And so, um, so I was definitely, again, very, very convicted by that. Um, and I really liked the the point that you made that. You know, yeah. And, and to think about it, we're, we're always, we're all about taking shortcuts, right? You know, used to, it was the 30 second soundbite. That's what everybody shot for because they knew that if the newspaper was going to quote you, if the news media was going to quote you, it was going to be a 30 second soundbite. That was all you had to, had to give them. Then it became what a twenty-five-word tweet. What was that? Twenty-five, thirty-word tweet. Uh, oh, it's, it's characters, yeah, it's but I don't character. Yeah, characters. 20, like that. Yeah, and, and then all of a sudden, it's 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 the meme mentality. You know, mm-hmm. uh, instead of typing out "I don't know," we type out "IDK." You know, how how much of a shortcut are we willing to take when it comes to spiritual things? When it comes to our families? When it comes to our churches? When it comes to our nation? And recognizing that there's some things that there just aren't any shortcuts for. Yeah, absolutely. Zach and I were talking a while back about a, a certain kind of celebrity pastor that his Easter sermon was nothing but a series of these little like YouTube. It, it was like all those videos that when you're scrolling through your Facebook and the little video comes up, and it's only going to last, what, three minutes maybe at most, and it's going to have the little subtitles so you can see it on mute. And his entire Easter sermon just seemed to be a collection of those so that his media team could split them up and put them all over social media and get tons of likes and shares and all of that stuff. But there was something missing, and it was the gospel. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. We're so focused on likes, and we're so focused on this, mm. this popularity that we miss – sharing the true gospel. And, you know, I think that's something that I know we've had conversations as a staff and, and just 
kind of personally, I think all of us have had these kind of one-on-one talks about if anything that COVID has done, I think it's helped us to see we're not in a sprint, right? This is a marathon and leading people to become more Christ-like is a marathon. It's not something we can't fast forward it. You can't microwave it. What it takes is coming alongside each other and living life. You know, I know we, we went to a discipleship conference last year and he talked about looking, look at how Jesus spent his time. Yeah. He, he had the sermon on the Mount. He had these times that there were thousands of people gathered around. But from what we see in scripture, the majority of his time was spent with 12 guys and more specifically what three out of that 12 that he was spending almost all of his time with. And those are the men that later changed the world. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't see, we see references in the Bible of there being a large number who kind of had been following him all along, but we don't see where they instantly went out and changed the world as much as it is this core group that he had worked on day after day. And they still, I mentioned yesterday in, in the kind of unexpected things that God does, he uses these guys when they're first put to the test, they all fail. Yeah. Every one of them. Mm-hmm. And yet he's going to redeem them and bring them back. And they're going to later change the world. Um, that was one thing I hit on yesterday that I, not to, to go real long, but when you look at these characters in the Bible and, and you know, these men, especially these men, um, we have a tendency to elevate them and put them on some kind of pedestal. And David's a great example that, you know, we can look at him and he does so many good things. But David also basically forced himself on another man's wife, murdered him. I mean, he just, he does a lot of really, really bad things. But God still used him. And now he had to repent. Absolutely, repentance was a key ingredient in that. Um, But throughout the Bible, you look at the these people and they're flawed. They're messed up people and they continue to be messed up people. I mean, (laughs) how many times does Peter just, you know, do pretty boneheaded Peter kind of stuff. I mean, uh, even after we see the gospels, we see Peter still doing things that you're like, what, you know, but God uses him. And to me, that's a message that we're kind of robbing people of when we give them the microwave version of, of the Bible, when we just give them that surface level baby food of be like David, be like David, grab you some stones, kill a giant. If you believe Jesus enough, you can do all that stuff. We, we kind of erase the fact that God can use you even though you've messed some stuff up, pretty big stuff. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the wonderful part about the Bible. God doesn't try to hide the the ugliness in his word, um, every one of the major Bible characters, exactly as you said, they stumbled, they failed, they, they did something horrible. Uh, Elijah was ready to commit suicide. I think he, he, he probably was the picture of clinical depression, if you want to get down to it, with what he went through. And, and you have so many things like that, which, which tell us, one, that, that this has to be the true word of God. Because if man had written it, he would have cleaned it up, made all the, the bad things go away. But God wanted us to see that that that's exactly the people he uses, people who are like us, the real people uh, who, who do mess up and, and make those kinds of mistakes. And, of course, one of the things I want you to, to talk about a little bit today 
is uh, the the unexpected ways that that God works, and you talk about how that is good news for us all. So, so maybe elaborate on that aspect of, of yeah, kind of fitting into what we've already been mentioning. I think that's good news because when we start looking at ourselves, we're going to realize that we're not going to fit this mold of perfection. That we're not going to have it all together. We're not, you know, if if you were figuring out like, okay, who who could God use to to change Dadeville? Well, I'm not that guy. Like I look at me and I'm like, well, I'm uh, I don't have this or I don't have that. I'm not popular. I don't know everybody in town. I didn't grow up here. Whatever it is, we can come up with a list of reasons why I should be the least likely person that God would use. Uh, maybe it's because I know of things I've done in the past and I think, oh, that my shame is too much. I can't do these things. But God does the unexpected because um, very rarely do we see God moving in the way that if you were going to write this story out, you were going to kind of, you know, like you mentioned, if you were going to create your own you know, religion, you'd make sure they had perfect people and it all looked neat and everything. In the same way, if we wrote the story, um, there, there's friends of ours that, that I know that have adopted and they um, they needed money. They, they were adopting a child from China and they needed the money. And in if we were writing the story, if you think of the, the, the Hallmark movie version of this, then you know what happens. Somebody walks in with a golf check of the exact amount they need and hands it to them and says, I had a dream last night that God wanted me to give you this money. Right. And you know what? That never happened. Yeah. But what did happen is they needed this amount by this day and this money came in this way and they sold some stuff and it made it this money. And at the right time, they had the money yeah. that they needed. And then, you know what? The next day they still had to depend on God because they didn't have a golf check. Yeah. They needed that. And when I look at that and say, so often we can emphasize the idea of God has to swoop down in some kind of miracle that we would write for a TV movie. But instead we ignore the fact that he's doing amazing things a little bit by little bit. And so we can ignore the people that maybe, you know, we might look at somebody and say, Oh, if we just had one rich person, they could come in here and do everything we could ever desire. And then we ignore the fact that we have a sea of people who could give the widow's might. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I talk about God doing the unexpected. Um, you know, I, I highlighted yesterday that, that Christ is the epitome of this, that there's no, no greater example than when he took the idea that there was going to be this, this king of kings that was going to come and free his people, but he didn't send a mighty warrior with chariots and an army to vanquish the Romans. Instead, he sent a humble carpenter son that was going to come from nowhere. And so you look at that and say, God does these things. And I think he does it on purpose because um, if it was always the way we would expect it, then, then God wouldn't get the glory. Yeah. You know, but when you have to depend on him day after day, because the, that big check never shows up, yeah, there's probably going to be some days that you go, God, why why are you not showing up? And then that little bit of money comes in. I know in my own life, there's been times where, um, you know, finances were tight. And I, I don't want to harp on just money, but that's what comes to mind right at this minute. Just where things were really tight. And then just out of the blue, somebody came and gave us money. The other day, um, well, almost a year ago probably, 
Karen was saying that, uh, that's my wife, Karen. Um, she had, somebody had given her some money. I think we got it when we got here as kind of a, um, welcome present or whatever. And she had some $20 bills that she had tucked like in her wallet. And she said, I just really enjoyed it because anytime I needed to be able to bless somebody, I just seemed to have those and just could pull it out and like, all right, here, let me, you know, somebody, there's a need, we need to give something, I can give this money. And, and, and so she ended up, she looked in her wallet and she's like, well, I'm out of money. Man, I really enjoyed that. I really wish I had that, that we just had more. It was that same day that an envelope ended up on my desk with a whole bunch of $20 bills in it. And I like took it home and she's like, that's really awesome. Cause this is what I was thinking. And like those kind of things happen, but they're not usually huge things. It's four or five $20 bills that we can use to bless other people or, or, you know, those kind of things. Um, because God's working in unexpected ways. Yeah. It's, it's not always these big things that we kind of um, fixate on. God is working every day in our lives even if we don't really realize that at first. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so kind of kind of playing off of that, going into your last point, um, you said this should change the way we see others. Um, and so looking at this in regards to kind of how, how God does the unexpected and how he does that with us and how he shows in unexpected ways to us and how that's good for us, what exactly, um, how exactly would you summarize that idea that this changes how we see other people. In what way does that change how we see other people? Does that, does that question make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think um, it can change in a few different ways. Um, I, I told the story yesterday of this young atheist who um, just total depravity attacked his own father and almost killed him and, and all these horrible things and how he was later saved in prison, went on to lead uh, Nabil Qureshi to, to Christ and, that impact throughout kind of the Muslim world that started with this rebellious 18-year-old kid. Well, that's one way in that if, if you're a parent that has, you know, a prodigal child and, and you've spent years praying for them and it's been one disappointment after the other, um, don't give up hope. And I know that's easy and it sounds very, uh, trite almost, but again, keep praying for them. Keep trying. Um, there's never someone who is completely beyond hope because God does unexpected things and he can come in in the 11th hour uh, when things seem bleak. Uh, that's a good example, you know, David Wood's testimony. Um, and there's a lot more of testimonies like that where people were living lives that you would never see them coming to Christ and yet they do, and the impact that they have in in, uh, in the world. Um, and so that would be one thing is just don't give up hope. Um, you know, I, I using the analogy of books yesterday and saying there's some people whose books are very torn and tattered and worn out, and these things have been beat up and they look beyond hope. But Christ doesn't see as we see. You know, God's looking at the heart of man. And so um, as long as there's breath, there's hope, you know. And so that would be one thing I would say. Uh, The other thing would just be that idea of don't look at people for what they give us or what they can bring to us. And that, um, you know, and that's something that I kind of confessed yesterday that I, I suffer with is that idea of 
looking at people as, okay, well, what can you bring to our ministry? What could you help our church with? And that idea that that's not the way God has us look at them, you know, that uh, we should look at them as potential brothers and sisters in Christ. And that that's our goal is to um, see them be our brothers and sisters, even in children's ministry. To me, our highest goal is to take our sons and daughters and make them into brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. because we want them um, to be fellowshipping alongside us one day as our brothers and sisters, as we've all been adopted into God's kingdom. And so um, just that idea that we should, it should shift the way we look at people. We shouldn't count them out because of things they've done in their past, or we shouldn't be overly swayed to show preferential treatment to somebody. Um, You know, James, Two talks about that, just that idea of, no, we should treat people the way God treats them, which is equal, um, not giving deference based on what we think we can get from them. You know, when you were talking about the, that yesterday, about how sometimes we say, yeah, you'd be a good fit for our church, and you maybe not so much kind of thing. And and I pray God never allows us to to, to be that way with, with anyone it just made me think about this this concept of the church as a huge jigsaw puzzle, and, and we don't see the picture. And, and we're trying to, to fit pieces in. We don't see the picture. We don't see the pattern. And we're trying to make pieces fit where if we'll just let God do the adding, let him put the puzzle together for us, then it becomes this beautiful mosaic of what the church was always intended to be. The problem is we're too busy trying to put the pieces in for him and, and making those decisions. So I, I thought you, you did a great job yesterday. I thought it really uh, spoke exactly the message we needed to hear. Oh, yeah. And, brother, let me tell you, I loved kind of how you handled this sermon because I feel like looking back over it, kind of meditating on it, hearing it, looking back over your notes, this is a step-by-step picture of the steps of the gospel, really. I mean, looking at it, you you replace or you add to every one of your three points, Christ, and it is still true. Christ was the unexpected. Christ was the good news for us. Christ should change the way we view others. And so looking at this and just the way that you have presented the gospel in that sense of, you know, Christ coming and dying on our behalf was something that is unexpected. It should not have happened in our, in our rational thinking, right? Like um, Andy Minio, a Christian rapper has a line in one of his songs. He says, when have you ever heard a story of the hero coming and dying for the villain? Like, but, but that's the unexpected view that we see in our gospel where, where the hero comes and dies for us, the villain in an unexpected way, which is good news for us as it, as it gives us this, this new hope that, that we are, dead people who Christ loves and who Christ has, has bestowed his love and his blessing and his, and his life upon and how that then goes into showing how we, how we view other people. And so, man, I thought it was uh, just a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal message. Uh, I would encourage anybody to, to go back and listen to it, um, to, to share it uh, across platforms because uh, it's a gospel message worth hearing. And so I, I, commend you for that. I was truly blessed yesterday. Um, and so I, I thank you for, uh, for letting God use you in a way of, of giving us that message. Well, that, that was all the Lord because I, <laughs> I go ahead and tell you, I, I read it to Karen and, and 
I made some tweaks and things to it, but I read it to her in the days leading up and she was like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, and I even felt like I was like going into yesterday. I was like, ah, just, I don't know. This isn't a very good sermon. Like, you know, and, and there was a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't on the paper that ended up, you know, the Lord, yeah. you know, used. And, and I, I thank him for that, but Man, it's almost like, like, like God does something unexpected sometimes. Oh, look at there. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of unexpected, let's read whatever random unexpected question. I've got an unexpected question here I, that based on what we've already talked about today that, that I, I wanted to, to do. And this I'm, it's going to be a little bit of a paraphrase from our typical question, okay? I've got to set the, got to set the scene. <laughs> uh, All right. And now Zach and I get nervous. <laughs> we're, we're, we're facing the apocalypse, Okay. Wait, is this the question or are you just making a statement of that? This is, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're in my okay. okay. All right. We're, we're, we're facing the apocalypse. And the only thing that you have with you besides enough food to live out 20 years of life, food and water to live out 20 years of life, okay? So for 20 years, you, you've got your shelter, you've got the food, you've got the water, every, everything to survive on, all right? The only thing in your bunker with you is an old record player that works. You have room for one record. Here are your choices. The Monkees, the Partridge Family, or the Brady Bunch. Which would you choose? Well, I've, having listened to the wise Dr. Ben Hayes answer these questions in the past, I know the answer is, I'll have my wife with me because I can't live without her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just cut your survival down to 10 years, buddy. <laughs> well, I don't want to survive without her. Okay. Um, Good answer. Good answer. <sighs> While I am familiar with all of them, primarily from watching their television shows, I don't know that they're their musical repertoire that much. I, um, I, I can agree with you there. I'm not a... I think I'm going to go... Now there's this could be a double-edged sword. I'm gonna go with the monkeys. Because when you named them, I instantly got the song in my head. But that might not be a good thing because that's the only song of theirs I know. And uh <laughs> 20 years of hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Yeah. Get around. No, yeah. I, I would I would agree with you. The monkeys, um not really for for any any particular reason. Um just I think I could think I could deal with that longer than than either of the other two. Well, we'll make that unanimous in because the monkeys uh, ruled the day. So, oh, there you go. You got it from the expert. <laughs> there Absolutely. We have it. All right, the time that Brother Ben hates most, I think. Yes, next Sunday we are going to start a new study, a new series of sermons, and the title of the series is "Turn Our Hearts." And uh, it will be based on the last verse in the Old Testament. And that's all I'm going to say. You'll have to go look that up for yourself. Well, again, color me intrigued. So I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so sign us off, uh, <laughs> supposedly handsome hubby. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you again next week. <laughs>